everybody. Happy Monday. And welcome to Mark and the Tiger Tales. It's me. It's Mark. Hello and welcome. Happy to be here. (laughs) I'm recording this on Sunday night. Saturday night. It's Saturday right now. And I'm so tired because I woke up at 5 a.m. this morning to go teach yoga. And man, if this day has just not stopped ever since. But we're here, we're happy, we're doing great. I'm running a 10K tomorrow, so I haven't trained at all. I've done no training. I've run, I think, three three mile runs in the past two weeks. And uh, tomorrow I'm gonna run six miles. I've done six miles before, but it's been a very long time. So wish me luck, Godspeed. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. It is good. It's good for me, though. It's. I feel like I need challenges or else I will just do nothing. I think that's maybe it's an Aries thing or maybe it's like a crippling ADHD personality trait. But if I don't have a goal, if I don't have my eyes on some kind of prize, then I will not do a fucking thing. I need to be challenged. I need to be pushed. And I have a very hard time self-motivating. So I need something. And when this 10K was put in front of me, I was like, this is the thing. This is going to be great. Not only did I sign up for this 10K tomorrow, but I also signed up for a Tough Mudder in April. I was really feeling myself. And then I started training and I started running. And I forgot that I don't know if I like running. I think I might hate it. I I don't know. I I trained for I was trying to train for a marathon once and I I enjoyed that. It was kind of fun. I mean, I don't know if I enjoyed it, but like it was nice to run along the beach and I got up to about 19 20 miles. I was so close, but I trained too fucking fast and I didn't do enough to help my body out in between, ended up having a knee issue, and I didn't get to do the thing. So I feel like that's why when this 10K was presented to me, I was like, yes, okay, this is it. Let's do it. And now that it's here, I'm like, why? What the fuck? I could sleep in tomorrow, and instead now I'm going to wake up at 4 a.m. to drive to Redondo Beach. Oh, my God. Oh, well, it's fine. We're all going to be okay. Anyway... (laughs) Welcome. That's happy Monday. By the time you guys will have will be listening to this, I'll have I'll have already done it, and hopefully I survived it, and I will have had a big old martini afterwards, and it'll have been great. So we can only hope. Uh, I thought today <laughs> it would be kind of fun this week, since this is Mark and the Tiger Tales, and it's all supposed to be about stories. Maybe I should tell you a story. Uh, I thought it would be kind of fun to tell you a story about one of my firsts of Los Angeles. So I've lived here for, it's been 13 years in October, which is ridiculous to me. In my mind, I'm still 22 and I'm young and beautiful and my skin is so fresh. Uh, (laughs) And if you are from LA or have been to LA, then you know about Earth Cafe. So uh, I, I moved to Burbank when I first moved out to Los Angeles. I'm from the East Coast. And when I graduated college, my old friend, um, she was a senior when I was a freshman. And she had moved out here to go to film school. And she knew that I wanted to move out to L.A. Every other person in my life was moving to New York 
because uh, that's just what people in New England do. They moved to New York after college. But I really wanted to come out here. I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to do all the things that people moved to L.A. for. And the summer after I graduated, she called me up and was like, hey, my roommate's being deported. Do you want to come and uh, be my roommate? And don't be upset. She was deported back to London, and it was just a visa thing, and she's fine. She's doing great, I'm sure. (laughs) Um... But I got to go and stay in that place, and it was great. And when I first moved out, I uh, went to Earth Cafe on the west side. And I don't know why I went all the way to Earth Cafe from Burbank. You don't do that. But I think I must have been visiting someone, or I I think maybe a friend was in town, or I don't know, something happened that brought me all the way to the Melrose Earth Cafe. And this is probably like six months into me having moved to LA. I hadn't done a lot. And when you live in Burbank, you really don't go into the city that much. So sometimes I wish I had just lived in Los Angeles, like from jump. But anyway, it didn't happen. That's fine. But I get to Earth Cafe and I'm waiting for my friend and I'm outside. And Earth Cafe, it's like one of those, the Melrose one in particular is like a place where everyone goes just it's always crowded it's always packed a lot of celebrities go to that one in particular because it's in west hollywood and near beverly hills and near all the rich things and as i'm standing outside this like fancy car pulls up at the valet and and you should i should just i would just want to preface this by saying earth cafe is just like it's just a cafe it's just like a lunch and pastry spot and they have a huge menu and it's great but the only reason there's a valet is because it's Los Angeles. It's not like this bougie, bougie place. But this car pulls up to the ballet, the valet, and this woman gets out, and she's I, I can't see her face, but she gets out of the car, and she's so tall, and she's so slender, and she's wearing this like really billowy, golden embroidered shirt, and these like really flowing pants, and like intense leather boots, and her hair is like, like it, her hair is both feathered, and there were feathers in her hair. She looked like, she looked like the coolest aunt that you could ever hope to have like the aunt that i hope to be (laughs) the hope the aunt that i hope that i am for my nieces is what this woman reminded me of and i couldn't see her face and i was like oh my god who is this extraordinary creature who is this like is this my first celebrity sighting in los angeles and I'm waiting for my friend, so I'm still outside, and she ends up going inside, and my friend shows up, and I'm, I was telling her, I'm like, oh, I just saw this most incredible woman. She was, she was just so, so striking from behind, and she's like, oh my god. Well, anyway, we go into Earth Cafe, and the way it works is you get a table, and you order at the counter, and then they give you the number. You know, it's like, it's like any place, but it's not like a sit-down spot, so you have to go up to the counter to order, and so we go in, and my friend it's always crowded so i'm like why don't you look at a table and i will go order for both of us and get a number so that way we don't have to worry about fighting for a table later she's like great so she does that and i wander over to the cashier to stand in line and when i get there my extraordinary woman my most beautiful aunt that i could ever hope to have or be is standing there and she turns around 
and it's fucking Steven Tyler. <laughs> my most beautiful aunt woman creature was Steven Tyler. And that was my first Los Angeles celebrity sighting. And I've seen many more since. Uh, and I probably don't even recognize most of them. But that one always sticks in my head because I will never forget when Steven Tyler came out of that car. And for a long, long time, I thought that he was the most incredible older divorcee woman that I'd ever experienced in real life. <laughs> oh, man. Well, anyway, so <laughs> today's guest is a pretty... Um, I was, you know, I gotta tell you, so this podcast is in its infancy, and as I've been doing outreach, I have been trying to reach out to people that I'm inspired by, and, uh, you know, I've been kind of doing that thing that Liv did when she, if you haven't listened to the first episode of the podcast, go listen to it right now, but I'm, I'm trying to do that thing that Liv did, like, really dig into lucky girl syndrome, or... Maybe it's not syndrome. I feel like I keep saying lucky girl syndrome, and that makes it sound like a disease. And I feel like it's much more of a state of mind. (laughs) So anyway, I'm trying to be a lucky girl. And I am trying to force myself to reach out to people that I don't expect will come onto this podcast. And so the guest that is coming onto the podcast today, his name is Court Fox, and he was my very first person that I reached out to that kind of felt like a big ask for me. So Court Vox is a certified sex and intimacy coach uh, based in Los Angeles and a member of the World Association of Sex Coaches and the founder of The Body Vox. I read that straight from the bio that his assistant sent to me. And I followed him on Instagram for a while now, probably a few years. And he posts a lot of like beautiful, beautiful, um, like tasteful nudes (laughs) as you find on Instagram. And that is definitely what, what like pulled me in. But as I really started to follow him more and more, I was so inspired because he talks about sex and sexuality as this really beautiful spiritual thing. And this very somatic experience, very you know, tactile and something where it's about connecting with yourself and your body. And there are a lot of people on Instagram who talk about things like that, but a lot of them are straight white women. And that's this, I'm generalizing, but this is like who I see or, you know, like that hippie kind of like straight yoga guy. And I got to tell you, I'm, listen, I'm definitely, I have, I have a big chip on my shoulder because I, for those of you that don't know, I am a yoga teacher and I've been one for a very long time and I've been in this wellness in community or environment for a long time. And nowadays I just see it on Instagram and it really bums me out because it's just feels so inauthentic and so, so shitty. Uh, (laughs) But court didn't feel that way to me. Everything felt very authentic and very real and very queer, which I don't feel like is often represented well enough in these wellness spaces, ironically enough. So 
I reached out to him and I was so incredibly surprised and shocked and honored when he agreed to come and be on this podcast. So he's going to come and tell us a story. I'm going to tell you right now. And I know last week I gave a trigger warning that turned out to not necessarily be merited. <laughs> this one's merited. The trigger warning is not because anything's traumatic well maybe it's traumatic but in kind of a funny way but it is very graphically sexual and i did tell him i was like do not hold back i want to hear everything and he tells everything and it's a really great story it will make you go oh my god but it's still a great story so um don't listen with kids don't listen with your grandma mom turn this off but otherwise, you're going to love the story. You're going to really love Court. And I think you're going to really like the conversation that we have afterwards, too, about sexuality and storytelling and all sorts of things. So enjoy it. I will see you on the other side. Love you so much. Goodbye. <laughs> Tell me a story. Tell you a story. Well, um, I'm just caveating this for everyone listening and watching that there is some some like shock and awe in this story. So um, if you are a queasy stomacher or you don't like to hear um, sex stories that are have maybe some some gross grossness to them, that this you should probably click away right now. <laughs> um, so. You know, I've, I'm a sex educator. I'm a, a somatic sex and intimacy coach. Um, and, you know, sort of in my life, there's not a lot. Um, there's not a lot of things that I haven't done or tried um, that I still want to do. Obviously, there's still stuff that's like percolating. And I and I learn new things about um, sexuality and sensuality that are always piquing my interest. And I don't know that I'll ever get to a place where I'm um, truly like sated or like I've done it all, but I've done quite a bit. Um, and so I just want to start with saying that this was um, probably when I was like 27. Um, I was um, at a bar called the Eagle in in Los Feliz or Silver Lake in Los Angeles. And I was, um, I don't drink a lot. So I just want to caveat that I don't drink a lot. I never have. Um I was at the bar and I was looking, you know, pretty sexy that night. Um, and the one of the promoters of this particular night was he was coming on pretty hard and it was obvious and I was flirting back and it was like a very fun banter. And, um, you know, it was the, for those of you who don't know, um, this is a leather bar. The Eagle is a leather bar. They, they're all over the world, but this one is particularly in Los Angeles. And so I'm I'm chatting with him. And of course, it's his night. So he's buying me drinks and he's buying me really strong drinks. <laughs> and I am, you know, I'm, I'm getting more and more loose and I'm flirty and flirty and flirty. And um, all of a sudden, you know, we're kind of making out and he sticks my hand down his pants, down the backside of his pants, to be clear. And... Um, <laughs> You know, I'm I'm playing around back there, and he's like, um, "I want you to come home with me, and I want you to fist me." And I said, "Well, you know, I've never done that before." And he said, "Well, I'll teach you." 
I was like, all right. So we have like maybe another drink or two. And mind you, he's buying me like Jaeger bombs, which are so strong and sweet that the, you know, the, the combination of the sugar and the alcohol was just really hit me hard. Um, anyway, we go back to his house and um, we, you know, we take an Uber there and we get into his apartment and um He's like, just give me a couple minutes. I was like, all right. So I'm like laying down his bed waiting for him. And um, he comes back and, you know, we're making out for a little bit. And then, um, you know, we're, you know, getting into it. And how much, how much can I say on this podcast? You can say everything, everything and anything. (laughs) I will give it to him right now. Okay. Unadulterated. So I'm, you know, I'm, we're making out and then I start to eat his ass and I'm, I fuck him. And then he's like, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready. You know? And so I'm okay. So he puts J lube all over my hand, which if you've never used J lube, it's like, Hmm, what is the consistency of J lube? It's like the <laughs> consistency of jello and cobwebs. Oh, it's like, very, like, like a gelatinous, very, but it like, when you do this, it kind of spreads. It's very um, mucosal, if that's the word. Um, I'm picturing very... marshmallow fluff. I don't know if that's cool. Yeah, it's like marshmallow <laughs> fluff. <laughs> Maybe a little thinner than marshmallow fluff. Anyway, the more water you add to it, the more viscous it gets. And anyway, so I have this all over my hand. And, I'm, you know, if I'm looking back on it, you know, now J-Lube for me is not a big deal. But at the time I was sort of like, <laughs> like marshmallow goo on my hand. And so he's, um, you know, he's got his ass kind of in my face and I'm still laying down and I start to fist him, you know, put put my hand in there and, you know, we're at that for quite a while. And then he's like, I need to like, just take a minute. And so he goes back to the bathroom and he comes back and, you know, he's kind of like cleaned off and I don't know if he douched again or whatever, but he comes back and he sort of like, lays his body on top of my body so i'm laying in my back and his his ass is now in my face and he's sucking my dick and i start to eat his ass again and i you know chomping it and sucking it and then he shits in my mouth oh no <laughs> and i mean it wasn't like a shit shit it was like diarrhea in my yeah. mouth yeah And I had such a visceral reaction to this that I, you know, and I was also a little bit drunk. So I like pushed him off of me and I was like throwing up already in my mouth. And I like ran to the bathroom and the toilet and was like violently vomiting in there. And, you know, when you are throwing up and it feels like your skin is going to be removed from your facial structure. Like yes. the scalpel. It was like so violent, this vomiting that it was like, ah. Anyway, I was in there for a little bit. I come back totally ruined. You know, I'm just like wrecked. Just like it's early in the morning. It's like, I want to say it's like 3 30 in the morning, maybe four. I'm like drunk. <laughs> I just like ingested diarrhea in my mouth. And I <laughs> like, clean my mouth and I come back to bed and I'm laying there and I'm just sort of like, Oh God, I gotta, what am I going to do with myself right now? And he's like, do you want to keep going? (laughs) (laughs) 
I don't think no, so. No, I'm so I'm so finished. Like I'm just my body is shutting down. <laughs> and so the strange thing is is so we took like a little nap for like 30 minutes. It set my alarm to wake up at 5:30 because I had to catch a plane to go somewhere. I oh, don't no. remember where it was going, but I literally went home. I had already packed my bag, thank God. Picked up my bag and went to the airport in this totally wrecked state. And um, yeah, that was my first fisting story. I have so many questions. <laughs> so many follow-up so, questions. So yeah, it was, um, yeah, not not the last, but definitely the first. And it definitely left an impression. <laughs> I can so. only imagine, hopefully not a bacterial impression. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So let me ask you that. Well, first of all, what was his response when that happened? Because to be to be the one receiving it is pretty rough, but then to be the one who has been shit in <laughs> someone's mouth, that is that's kind of hard. You know what? I I think um I he was pretty chill about it. I don't think it phased him at all. I mean, you know, the experience that I've had now, it's sort of like it is a dual purpose hole. And mm-hmm. it's like, <laughs> like not to be grotesque, but like shit does happen and you know, you can either let it kind of ruin the experience or it's just like a part of it. Yeah, that's very, very true. That was one of my very first bottoming experience. That's what the guy said to me and it put me at ease, which is nice. Was that before you had done any somatic work or anything or were you already in that world? No, no, I, this was before. Um, I think I, I can't remember if I was 36 or 37, but it was definitely around there. I didn't really start studying somatics until I think I was 38. No, actually, maybe it was around the same time. It was definitely before, but it wasn't long after that I I started studying. Um, It took me about two years to finalize my studies. And then I I moved into, so about 2008, I think, was when I started studying. And then 2000, end of 2019, I'm totally messing up the dates. It's 2000, 2018. Is that right? Yeah, 2018 when I started my study. I mean, I got to say, COVID, I think, has messed with all of our knowledge of dates because three years then, this didn't happen. So, um, end of 2019, I decided to you know close out my old businesses and do this full time. And then in 2020, I, I kind of hit the ground running and been doing this ever since. That's amazing. What brought you into that world? I mean, obviously, you've, you're a sexual person. I feel like that story that we just heard yes. really solidifies yes. that. <laughs> what made you want to go into that side of things? So I had um, I had been um, studying shibari rope bondage um, and taking classes. And Desperate just to like, do that myself. Yeah, just sort of like entry-level classes, community classes. And um, I had met this this um dom and his submissive and they were still friends but they they were not together anymore they weren't a couple but they would come to classes and i was like i need somebody to practice on because you know this is great that i'm you know get to be here but i need to practice and he said you should ask you know her she she'd probably be open to it and so i asked her and she was like yeah i'd love to and so um i go over to her house and we we're looking at a book and I was tying from this book and had a great time, you know, you know, as you're tying, you're, we're having this conversation and I'm getting to know her better and like, she's getting to know me. And, um, 
it turns out she was a psychotherapist that worked with the nervous system. That was like her kind of um, expertise and background. And, um, you know, I told her that I was really wanting to get out of corporate life, that I was just feeling stuck there. And she said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, I'm pretty clear that I want to be a sex therapist, but not one that just talks to people. I want to facilitate through um, experiential learning and and the body and touch even. And I said, I don't know that that exists. And she said, have you heard of sexological body work? And I had not. Um, the school in San Francisco had since closed and a new school called Somatic Sex Education Institute had opened in Canada. And so that's where I studied. Um, in addition to uh, surrogate partner therapy um, and, and a few other modalities over, you know, the period of, well, I'm still studying. What made you really want to be a facilitator in that way versus just a regular psychotherapist? You know, I've done a lot of psychotherapy in my life. Um, I feel like I learn through doing. Um, and so just like as myself, as a, a specific type of learner, I'm not a good reader. I My attention span is really short. Um, and I find that my, my attention span in sex is very acute and I can like hold that for long periods of time. Um, it's the only place where I don't feel my ADHD taking over or my ADD. Um, I feel really connected. I feel focused. I feel very zoned in. Um, and so just like with that awareness and with that kind of, um, <clears throat> I don't know if it's so much of a gift as it is something that was like a skill, uh, a honed skill set, um, maybe a little bit of both of like, you know, how can I teach this to other people? Um, yeah. Well, I find that really interesting because I think so many of us, well, for if, if you're someone who struggles with focus, sometimes sex is a place where we lose focus quite a bit because there's so many other emotions going on. I think it's interesting that for you, it was the opposite where it was where you get to hone in so much. Well, say more about loose focus, because I think maybe maybe this is my own personal drama that I'm bringing into this. For me personally, I was a very heavy child and really insecure. And I feel like that has come into my adult life. And I have ADHD too. So I, I am with you on that. But when I'm in a sexual scenario, sometimes if it is totally spontaneous and off the cuff, or if I'm intoxicated, then yeah, I can focus here and there. But other times I'm like, oh, what do they want? What do they need? What do I want? What's going on? What's that over there? And it's funny, I find to be quite the opposite of you, whereas you get laser focused, I almost <laughs> go everywhere else. Got it. So I would call that more of like a dissociation. <laughs> where you're like, um, not, not, not present in the moment. I think, you know... Um, that is a lot of what I'm teaching is, is for how, how people skills are actually um, usable skills for people to stay present, to, to actually stay. You know, if you look at the average American um, times that people have sex, it's very small. Um, it's less than like 25 minutes, I think. Um, and there's a couple different um, answers when you search that. But imagine being an erotic connection or space with somebody for three hours. Um, you know, that's a really big stretch for a lot of people. And for me, that feels really nutritious and awesome. And my preferred, um, if I have, 
if I have the time, I will make the time for that type of play because of what it brings to me in terms of um, I feel full in a way that I don't in other kind of shorter experiences um, where I get to um, where I get to like bathe in my serotonin and dopamine <laughs> for long periods of time. Um, and that requires what I call um, erotic endurance, which is not the same as stamina. You know, stamina is sort of like a, you know, I can be here for, for 30 minutes or whatever. Endurance, you know, acknowledges that it, um, we're not sprinting the, the entire time. You know, we might have a moment where we sprint out of the gate and then we're going to have to come to a place of um, a little more down regulation and then bringing it back up and then maybe coming back to a, a more downregulated space, but still staying within that um, aliveness, that connectedness with the person you're with, or even with yourself. Um, and that takes practice. Um, it takes staying in a, a place and utilizing your breath, movement, sound, touch, um, the sensations that are available to you, um, words, language. There's a lot of ways to to stay present there, um, utilizing fantasy, toys, um, even, you know, games and dynamics, dynamics of power and things like that, um, which I would refer to as um, frameworks, sort of like if you had a, a dashboard of all of the toys available for you, um, you know, being able to choose them, take them off the shelf and go, yeah, that one sounds like fun right now. Um, but when we have no frameworks, we have no toys in our toy box, um, our, our experiences become pretty limited. So if we're talking about like scenes, for example, you know, scenes, creating a scene is storytelling at its core, right? And it does take preparation. So I'll give a, a, another quick story um, that's probably more relevant than the one I told uh, at the beginning. I'm, I'm going to circle back to the fifth thing. So yeah, circle back to that one. Um, <laughs> so I had worked with this couple and I had worked with them individually. I had worked with them as a couple. And then um, <clears throat> I had the one of them had come to work with me after sort of um their partner had come and they were really their partner was asking them to be more dominant wanted them to be like really step into their dominance <clears throat> and lead and you know for a lot of men who have been socialized um to be really kind and and loving and nurturing and da 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 da, da it can be challenging to step into that role because it feels foreign and it feels um, the language is very precise. It's very clear. It's not flowery on purpose. It's very, it's directive. Um, and so it, it can be a challenge. And for this human, it was also challenging. And so I had created uh, a scene for them and it was sort of like taking up a lot of space in my studio you know, it wasn't in one room in particular, it was in many rooms. And afterwards, we were sitting and he sort of looked sad. And I said, what's going on with you? He said, I just, that was incredible. And I don't know that I'll ever be able to, 
to do that, to recreate that for my partner. And I said, well, let me break it down for you, what I did. And so I started to break down how I prepared for it. I started to break down um, sort of like a the key steps in, in the scene, right? So act one, act two, act three, act four, how we were going to complete. And really like breaking down, uh, you know, that it wasn't really that hard. It just took some forth, for, uh, um, foresight, it took some preparation and took some like creativity and also some like spontaneous thinking on the fly. And those things are really important to be able to be think spontaneously, be creative is another one. You know, specifically when you're telling stories, nobody wants a story that you've told before. You know, you do some variation on it, but they're like, I don't want, that's not my story. You know, and with, with DS play also of, I don't want some scene you created for somebody else. Or if I'm speaking to my submissive, like, I don't want something that you used to do with your dominant. Like, I want what's mine. I want something specific to me. And so after I'm like explaining all this to him, I see sort of like a, a light bulb go off in his face. And he's like, oh my God, you're, you're a storyteller. And I was like, yeah. It's exactly what this is. And he goes, I'm a storyteller. I know how to tell stories. And I was like, yes, he happened to be a writer. And so it was just sort of like the light bulb happened for him of connecting something that he was already familiar with to sort of this really new, unfamiliar um, piece, which it was sort of like, yes, I already have elements of that. Let's just bring them together. So, you know, those are the moments that really light me up when I can, I see physically people's faces changes, um, whether it's sort of like they have some kind of epiphany or even just like there's been a dimness to their quality, their presence, and then something just shifts and it's a lightness. Um, I can't explain it other than they look younger Um like the something physical changes in their face and it's almost like a, the lights went on in the house um that were kind of dim or not on before so that's that's a really rewarding um thing to witness You know those people that just always seem to have chaos in their life? Oh, yes. You're just like, you were so much drama. Like, what? And they're like, oh, there's so much drama in my life. There is something about them that loves that. Yeah. That loves the chaos, that loves the drama. And so they keep going back to it because it's arousing. And arousal is excitement. In um, the book Existential Kink, she speaks, about, the author speaks about how sometimes we, not sometimes, how we get our um, our needs met, our subconscious needs are always met, um, whether we want them to or not. Mm-hmm. And if we notice we have these patterns in our lives that keep continuing over and over and over again, it's like, what is this about? And then to understand, oh, I, I keep inviting chaos into my life because I actually love how this feels in my body. <laughs> like this arousal feels exciting and like, I love that adrenaline rush. So knowing that, 
and knowing also that that kind of drama actually doesn't serve you in your life. It actually is like ended relationships, um, you know, fuck things up at your job or with your family going like, okay, I know I need that. How can I play with that in an erotic space and actually ask for that consciously um, and actually satiate that need here um, so that I don't have to do that over here in, in my subconscious life. And what a really beautiful tool then sex can be to start moving through these challenging areas of people's lives and psyches. Yeah. I mean, I think that's why I'm, I'm drawn to this work so much and it never gets boring is that really, if you look at sex as a way to explore um, self, um, whether that's outward expression or inner expression, there's just so much available. Um, and also just, you know, kind of moving, moving the dialogue from sex to eroticism um, of exploring the energetics of eroticism is really exciting. And it doesn't always have to include, you know, what we traditionally think of as sex. Um, I've had really incredibly erotic experiences with people where I never even touched them. Mm. Um, they feel really intimate, so close and connected and, and absolutely stunning and never touch them. Oh, interesting. And so, you know, being able to like play in those realms and those capacities involves speaking and sort of like understanding like, what are we, what are we playing with today? You know, how, what are we exploring? You know, in that particular case, sometimes exploring the space between you, you know, has been really interesting. The space where there is no touching. Like, is there still desire there? Is there still yearning? Is there still wanting? Is there hunger? Like, really paying attention to the space um, of not being able to touch someone. Like what is alive there? There's a lot. Before I let you go, could you tell everyone where they can find more information about you, what you have coming sure. up recently? And Yeah. So um, I have an online course uh, with guidedness, which I'll send you links for. Um, it's really embodiment practices, like foundational embodiment practices, for sex, so breath, movement, sound, choice, voice, some explorations in fantasy and desire, lots of meditations, um, home play assignments, writing assignments. Um, and then I'm also, I'm seeing um, online clients now, which is sort of new for me. Um, most of my work is in person. I do three-day private immersions um, here in Los Angeles and globally. Um, and then I have retreats that I offer throughout the year and um, a workshop here and there. So definitely keep an eye out, join my mailing list uh, for all the things upcoming. I announce things on Instagram and uh, on my website. So Amazing. And is there any special things that if any anyone is, do you take all comers, I guess is what I'm trying to say, or are there any particular all comers, people that yeah. you're with? Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> Anyone that comes. Double entendre mended, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I, work with, I, I work with beginners and I also work with, I've worked with experienced sex educators and, um, you know, some people come to work with me because they are dealing with specific traumatic experiences and traumas that are still living in their bodies. And other people are coming because they're really happy with their sex life, but they want to learn more. Um, and so, yeah, I kind of deal with a lot of different types of bodies. I work with men and I work with women. So, um, yeah, it's fairly open over here. Beautiful. 
Well, thank you so very much for your time. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, you too. Be well. say I love talking about sex and I love talking about sexuality and I do not think that as a society in North America or maybe just the whole western world we talk about it enough in such a positive and authentic way and I hope that you guys enjoyed that conversation with Court as much as I did the thing that I loved about it and that I really took away from it is this concept of storytelling being a means to transcend are hang-ups because I, I think that a lot of us think of role-playing in sexuality or sex as something very specific and kind of like a kink and you know blah 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 but the idea of using stories to go to a different sort of place with your partner and experience I don't know some things that you maybe wouldn't have been open to or able to experience otherwise is really mind-blowing to me because so many of us have these hang-ups and i i think i believe very much in nature obviously as a queer person however i do think that there is something to the idea of nurturing the way that our minds think about things that affect how we are able to function in the world and sex is one of those things that really get affected by our own mental hangups. I was having this conversation today. By the way, the whole day has passed since you heard from me from the beginning of this podcast. It's now the second day. I have run that 10K. It went really well. It went great. So excited. Uh, And the Super Bowl happened. Um, Yay for Taylor Swift. But, uh, man, the 49ers look so, so sad. And um, it was too bad. It was just too bad. Anyway, all that to say, throughout this day, it's so funny how things happen. I've been having conversations with people about this idea of sexuality and nature versus nurture and the hangups that we all get into. And I feel like because society has these visions for what we are supposed to feel about certain labels or things or, I don't know, whatever... We get into our minds that some things are good and some things are bad. And those hang-ups or those ways of thinking affect how our physical bodies react. They affect how we're going to behave in certain situations. And so I think for a lot of us, when we go into these sexual situations, we have so many preconceived ideas of how these situations are going to go or how we're supposed to be or act that it takes us completely out of the moment. And I loved what Court was saying about using these stories to go deeper into the present moment of these sexual experiences and allow yourself to be open to a totally new way of being and thinking and acting and and experiencing. Because, man, like, you know, when it's just you living your life, uh, it's hard not to put all sorts of expectations on yourself or hard not to judge well if i think this or if i want this then it probably means this about me but when you're doing it in the context of a story or fantasy well then whatever you get to experience doesn't mean anything about you because it's just a story so you really get to play and be in that experience 
I don't know. I've been thinking about it a lot, and I really, really appreciate it. So I loved hearing all this from Court and that story that he told. Oh my God, I can, I could almost taste it in my mouth right now. It was that kind of thing where you're like, oh, I kind of sort of feel like I know where this is going. And then when it comes around, you're like, oh, but I didn't realize it was that. Oh, God, man. Well, anyway, anyway, we're done. We're, we're, we're over and out and through the wilderness. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed that. As always, I have so many more amazing stories and guests lined up for you. I cannot wait for you to hear them. And remember, I really want to hear from you. I want to hear your stories. I want to hear the things that you are excited to tell and talk about. And if you have a story you want to tell me, then go ahead and email tigertailspod at gmail.com and maybe we can get you on the podcast maybe i hope so Uh, and until the next time i hope you guys have an amazing week and an amazing well i don't know maybe an amazing sexual experience maybe to go tell some stories with a stranger or your partner or whoever and and then come back and let us know how it went uh i love you all so very much goodbye If you enjoyed Mark and the Tiger Tales, don't forget to rate, subscribe, and leave us a review. And remember, follow us on all the platforms at Mark and the Tiger. Love you so much. Goodbye.